Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It's August the 13th, 2012 in the evening as we are recording this episode. It's another breaking news episode along with my podcasting <laughs> partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, because Andrew, the, the, the very core of Birdland has been shaken by the Orioles acquiring J.C. Romero from the... Uh, the Cleveland Indians AAA organization. I uh, that's definitely putting us in the World Series 100%. Well, my Twitter timeline is uh, spinning like a, like a speeding odometer, so it's hard for me to keep up with all of the reactions. It's just nonstop excitement, you know. I mean, I, and and it's hard for me to process it uh, emotionally. Really, more, more than anything really, else. Really, really, it is it is difficult. To to uh, to just handle that that J C Romero is going to be on the Orioles. So obviously we're being extremely facetious here because uh, neither of us really give a crap about J C Romero, uh, which was probably your reaction as well, listener, mostly because I didn't care when they stashed him in the Norfolk transition into baseball retirement home to begin with, and I didn't care when he opted out. But it turns out there's actually probably a reason why they uh, reacquired him. Namely, that Troy Patton, the current only left-handed pitcher in the Orioles' bullpen, is slated to go on the DL. It seems he rolled his ankle. So, I guess Romero was the guy they could get the easiest. They traded an infielder named Carlos Rojas, who had like a 514 OPS at Norfolk. So, you know, that's not really a guy uh, you're going to miss out of the organization. So J.C. Romero, whatever, he's uh, he'll be arriving tomorrow. And the, the Orioles press release that was about him specifically highlighted that he has held left-handed hitters to a 218 batting average, 313 on-base percentage, 293 slugging in 1,121 plate appearances over his big league career, spanning like 14 seasons, 657 and a third innings. So... You know, pitch him against lefties, and I guess that might be okay. That was really enthralling. I know. By the way. I know. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here for that. But but the reason that the main thing I we, need to sit down after all that. The main thing we we actually wanted to talk about that's actually interesting is what was the subject of our real last breaking news podcast, Manny Machado, because you know after four games, pretty much uh, Bryce Harper, who I don't know. He doesn't matter anymore because it's Manny Machado now. Three home well, runs in his first four games. Pretty exciting. Small sample size, of course, but nonetheless yeah. exciting. Uh, I am going to quote one of the many Royals fans that I follow on Twitter and say, uh, Manny Machado hit three home runs off the Royals, but we already knew he could hit double-A pitching. Uh, so, uh, so much like Chris Tillman pitching to the Seattle Mariners lineup, we have to say, well, let's wait till he faces a real team. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, beating up Luke Hoshaver, uh, the best-named pitcher and one of the worst throwing pitchers in baseball, and uh, Bruce Chen, you know, that's not... It, it, it's something you don't want to throw it away because you got to be able to hit those guys to be able to hit the good guys. But, you know... Right. It's not like he came up and he was hitting bombs off, you know, Justin Verlander. 
Jared Weaver, the top. Or, or even guys like you know Hiroki Kuroda, who's not going to win a Cy Young, but it's a pretty good pitcher, much better than Luke Hoshaver. So Manny, well, I mean, all we can do is wait and see. But yeah, it's, it's definitely that's, exciting that's exactly right. that he came up and he's already got six hits in four games. Right. It was four games. They were really well-played games for him, if not necessarily the Orioles. And uh, he showed that he's not totally lost. Uh, I wrote a blog post about how I was impressed with how fast he is and, and how, I guess, uh, confident he looked. He, he seemed really nonplussed by the whole thing. Yeah, Andrew, I, along with many other Camden Chatters, was at the Mandy Machado debut because a number of people had already been planning to be there for the weigh-in uh, t-shirt night. Yeah. And then once it was Machado, Miss, we just decided to go. And uh, he definitely, we were impressed by his speed and aggressiveness because he really just made a run by himself when he got his first major league hit because he ran it out for a triple, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think every other person on the team would have stopped at second base, but he was, you know, he was wheeling around and then uh, he scored on a shallow sack fly right after that. So it was really, yeah. you know, not many people on the team would have scored on that either. And and he wasn't getting like pull crazy right out of the shoot, which is nice to see where He's not. He didn't look like he was pressing, trying to to win the ball game all by himself. He's just like, oh, here's a hanging curve ball that's away from me. I'll just take that the other way and shoot it in the in the opposite field gap. Right. He dropped it in right center field, which is basically where his home run went a couple days later. Uh, the one that ended up having to get video review to confirm it was a home run because mm-hmm. the umpires, oh, who knows, but. It's a good thing there was video review. Because right, otherwise, they got it right because they had the tools to get it right. They had the tools to get it right. That's exactly right. So, you know, it was the Royals, but it was pretty exciting. And, of course, Manny right. gave a quote like, I know the fans love me. It was great to hear their reception because, of course, he got, you know, like a standing ovation when he took his first at-bat. And after the triple, he got a big pop. And I think he got a curtain he call a curtain after call. he hit the yeah. two home runs. I missed all the Manny home runs, although I was at two games this weekend. Uh, Thursday and Saturday were the games where he did not hit home runs. How how was that, going to those two games? Well, Saturday was very miserable because of a three-hour yeah. rain delay. Right. And uh, actually, I ended up leaving after the seventh inning just because I was afraid the transit was going to stop, and I didn't really want to get stranded in downtown Baltimore. So... You know, that was kind of a bummer, and it was a bummer that we sat there for three hours, and then Chris Tillman, uh, you know, came out and pretty much stunk it up from the first inning on, giving up three home runs. So that, you know, that was unfortunate. And that was was the second game that week that I had been to Camden Yards and didn't get home until like 1.30 in the morning, because I was also in the press box for the Tuesday four-hour, 55-minute game which was a lot more exciting, but that was a long game. And Andrew, the the concession stands closed down before midnight, so I could not buy ice cream and be in compliance with the the rules of weird baseball as Kevin Goldstein lays them down. That that happened to me too, almost, 
where I was at the minor league game last week, and it went to the 12th inning, and things were getting weird. It was like 11-15, but weird baseball just starts early in, in yeah. the minors. Oh, and so for, for those who don't know, we, weird baseball is a concept from, well, I don't know if he originated it, but he propagates it mainly. Ba- uh, Kevin Goldstein from Baseball Prospectus, and it's pretty simple. If there's baseball being played after midnight local time in whatever time zone the game is being played in, it's weird baseball, and you have to eat ice cream. <laughs> and, and weird things happen. Weird things happen because it's after midnight and baseball is still yeah. being played. Um, in, in my game, there was, uh, it was the 12th inning. There was a runner on third with one out. And they intentionally walked one runner and then brought an outfielder into the infield. So now there's seven infielders and two outfielders. And then they pitched to the next batter, who was Jake Fox, who I didn't even realize was playing on on that minor league team. And he struck out. And then they intentionally walked the next guy to load the bases and put the outfielder back in the outfield. It was very, very weird. I didn't understand what was happening. Um, But... Again, concessions closed. Could not could not celebrate the, the oddity. There was two guys standing behind a Carvel cart. Carvel, whatever. And Carvel. and I was like, all right, I can get some ice cream. And I walked up to it, and they were like, sorry, we're closed. And I was like, why? So I had to take a picture and tweet the picture, and that was the closest <laughs> I, mean, I could come to ice cream. You should have just robbed them. <laughs> I don't know that that would have okay. been the most productive... Uh, way of handling the situation after it would have been weird it would have been weird because nobody would expect me to rob anyone right but you know i don't know so that's weird baseball and uh it's it's not as fun after a three-hour rain delay and we were pretty convinced the only reason they didn't postpone the game and do a double header or perhaps play on the off day was because of all the uh eddie murray statue ceremony stuff because mm-hmm. they didn't think they wanted to have to postpone everyone who was there for the brief pregame ceremony. And, well, it was just very miserable. And I didn't have a good time. And I don't like not having a good time. Because even usually when the Orioles lose, I have a good time at Camden Yards. But I was well. Well, the statue is terrific. The statue is pretty awesome. It's got the, uh, the mutton chops. The, the hat under the helmet. The double brim. Yeah. All of the statues have been... Yeah, it's really... it's, it's, you can't say enough good things about how they've handled this whole this whole thing. I was at, really... I was at the game with uh, Stacy and Paul Folk and Dave H. And uh, we were trying to figure out what would be the Cal Ripken pose. Yeah, I've been thinking about this too. So what we couldn't decide is if maybe it would be him doing something in the field. Although the consensus we reached among the four of us is it would probably be him from the 21-31 game when he just like came out and tried to wave at the crowd. Yeah. yeah that's before exactly it, before they made him do the uh do the lap around the stadium. And that's basically just, what we decided on. Yeah. for the Cal pose. And I think that's you know, that's a pretty iconic uh moment in his mm-hmm. career. So we'll see if that's what they do. I think it would be pretty good if they did. Cuz they've had they've got two guys that are hitting, because Eddie, of course, is in the process. Well, he's he's standing ready to hit, and Frank's statue is he's just hit a home run. And Jim Palmer is in the process of pitching, and the Earl statue is just kind of 
I don't really know what the Earl pose was supposed to be. I thought it looked like he was arguing with an umpire, but he needed to have his hat. They said it around. was. That's a good point. That's a good point, Andrew. <laughs> they said it was actually that was what he looked like when he was overseeing drills in spring training with the hands in the back pockets. Yeah, it, it sort of looked like he's got like a lineup card in the back pocket yeah. or, or something like that. And it looks like the Brooks Robinson one, just based on the way the pedestal is, that's empty in the uh, in the Legends area. Mm-hmm. It's going to be him kind of diving to get a grounder. Probably vacuum cleaning it up. Yeah, so, you know, that would be fitting, too. So I guess we'll find out on uh, whatever whatever day is. Cal's is on September the 6th, I think. Maybe the 5th. Uh, it, it's, one of the, it's one of those two days because it's um, the, the anniversary. Right, of this right. I think it's the 6th. Cause I th- of that weird thing he did. And then Brooks's is, what, Saturday, September 29th? Yeah, it's right at the very end. So all that stuff is is just really cool, and uh, you know it was fun to hear when he was giving his little pregame speech, just echoing through the stadium because the paid attendance on that Saturday night game was forty thousand. Although after three hours, there were less than half, but it was still probably still fifteen thousand there after all that rain, and it it was a lot of rain. And of course, so it was just echoing, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. It was like one half of the stadium and the other was just like shouting it back and forth at one another, just the way it was echoing. Because we were all the way, way up in the upper deck, because uh, it was dry under the awning up there. It turned out. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's uh, it's it's been fun seeing all these. Hopefully, I can go to the last couple. At least I got to watch the uh, the Earl one on TV, although I didn't go to that one. So that's the Orioles legends. I don't know. We didn't even mean to get on that that topic. No, but it's so it's, good. It's cool. It's just so good. We actually wanted to. They should, they should do it again next year. Yeah. Just keep well, putting no, up Andrew. Stats. Maybe they can have an addendum when uh, Mike Messina makes it into yeah. the Hall of Fame. That's gonna be so awkward and awesome. Well, he's supposed to throw out something at the first pitch or something later this month, or his Orioles. Well, yeah, because he's going into the Orioles Hall. Yeah. But when he goes into the actual Hall of Fame. Which ho- hopefully he actually does make it into the actual Hall of Fame baseball. He should. He certainly should. And then, of course, it's an ongoing debate about whether he will have an Orioles hat or a Yankees hat. And There's no question in my mind. No, because he pitched the longest in Baltimore, and his best years were in Baltimore. Best, yeah. So, didn't win any World Series with the Yankees. Didn't win World Series with the Yankees. Although he did get a 20-win season at the end. but I, th- I, I have long said, and I'll say it again and again and again, his premier game that he pitched was the last game that the Orioles were in the postseason where he struck out uh, 15 Indians or something like that. Um, and the Orioles lost that game because of stupid Armando Benitez. And, of course, there but, was the division series earlier that postseason where he out Randy Johnson. Right. I mean, that was the pinnacle of his career. That is the moment that I think of when I think of Mike Messina. That is the moment everybody should think of when they think of Mike Messina. Yeah. Because he was just unbelievable. He was good. on fire. Yeah. And uh, it is... Oh, man. So, the, so the hopefully there's a Mike Messina, and I don't know, maybe it's like he's just thrown a wicked curveball, but they probably couldn't throw the curveball. Maybe show him, like, I lo- think maybe like, like loving a comebacker, because he was always... Or maybe, like, uh, checking the runner on first. Like yeah. He, he would duck down and just look over his shoulder. Right. So any of that would be good. So 
find him. So Mike Vicina, yeah, hopefully he'll find his way onto the Legends. I don't know where they'll make room for him, but they really... Boy, that's going to be so awkward. Hopefully though. they will, if, if he makes it in, which I hope he does. And I hope he has an Orioles cap. So we're going to pause for approximately 10 seconds for... Not really station identification, but I always wanted to say that. So we'll pause 10 seconds for station identification on the Camden Cast podcast network. You're listening to Camden Cast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at GibsonAndrew, and you can follow me, Mark, on Twitter at EatMoreSKESSKAY, just like the hot dogs. Now back to the show. And just like that, we're back, and we're going yeah, to dip. In, yeah, it was real fun. So we're going to dip into a new feature here on the Camden Cast podcast, which over in the last week, if you were reading on Camden Chat, you would have seen I posted a Camden Cast comment box, which is going to basically serve like a mailbag feature for us. So we're going to start. Uh, Kind of taking, like I said, a mailbag like that. So our our first our first topic ever out of the Camden Cast comment box comes from user J O N Candenza, who I'm assuming is a fan of the David Foster Wallace book Infinite Jest. Hopefully he has uh, not stuck his head into a microwave and turned it on, which was the fate of that character in the in that book. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, Andrew. How about that? The thing is, the thing is. What do you think of that? Well, here, here's what J O N Candenza had for us. He posted <laughs> a series of numbers, which was 94.9, 94 94.1, 94.0, 92.8, 91.6, and 91.0, which turns out to be Chris Tillman's steadily declining average fastball velocity from start to start, and. J.O. Incandenza wanted to know if we had any analysis and or speculation regarding Chris Tillman's velocity specifically or just any thoughts on Tillman generally. So, Andrew, do you think uh, do you think that his velocity on this fastball went down from start to start matters? Can can we say that? Well, of course, it, of course, it matters. The question is, how much does it matter? Um, if this was Brian Mattis and his fastball was at 93, and now it's at 88, people would probably be freaking out like they freaked out when it was sitting at 88 previously. Yeah, as um, well it should have, because 88 with the stuff Brian Mattis was flashing just isn't going to cut it. Right, and and we know that because he was pitching very poorly. Uh, Chris Tillman, at least on a superficial level, has been pitching very well, but, like, it seems really odd to me that we're just giving him a pass. Like, oh, well, if your velocity goes down, your stuff is good enough. When the fastball, like, the movement on the fastball is not what I would consider uh, especially major league quality. Andrew, to say that his fastball has movement, that's true in the sense that it is moving from his hand in the <laughs> direction of home plate. That's about all that you can say about it for movement, because... Like, we could see the video replays of those home runs he gave up on the Saturday night against the Royals. And I think, I just distinctly remember one of them was like 94 coming in just above belt high. And it was just like, just straight, just completely straight. And it was like, you know, this this needs to, 
not do that because otherwise it's going to be a home run onto the flag court every time. And I, I guess I just feel like that's the biggest problem with Tillman is this, this straight as an arrow fastball. And I don't know, I don't know what he's supposed to do about that because, of course, mm-hmm. he was before he was dabbling with the cutter more because the cutter was supposed to have some movement, but that didn't really move either, and that just went in for less velocity and was still extremely hittable. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what what to make of Tillman. Now, what's interesting is he is not really striking out a appreciable more number of batters. Boy, that sentence. Let's try that again. He is not striking out appreciably more batters than he was last year. And, I mean, he did not pitch much last year at the major league level. Only 13 games, 62 innings. Uh, He has not pitched much at the major league level this year. Seven games, a little under 40 innings. So he's striking out more or less the same number of guys. He's walking fewer guys, which is something. Yeah, that's good. Um, But, you know, that is offset because he's giving up more home runs. Yeah, that's not so good. Uh, But if you are a practitioner of the fielding independent metrics, uh, FIP specifically, um, you would say his combined stuff, output, I should say, is pretty much right where it was last year. As ERA is a good two runs lower because he's got a lower batting average on balls in play. Wait, last year he had a 348 batting average on balls in play. This year so far it's 267. So, I I mean, and I've I've said this before, Chris Tillman last year, it's no wonder he had a high batting average on balls in play because he was just throwing hittable slop over the home plate. No wonder they hit it. Are we going to attribute his improved numbers on, on... balls in play this year to improve velocity or improve stuff or um and here's where i want to take it are we going to attribute it more to here's who he's pitched against seattle minnesota cleveland tampa bay seattle kansas city all of those teams have terrible offenses and he's put up Exactly as good numbers as as you would think outside of the Kansas City game. Right, pitching in New York and five innings. And and then there's New York runs. And he pitched you know. pretty poorly in New York. Yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know what to say about him. It seems like his off speed stuff is better this year, a little bit. His changeup in particular, which if you look at fan graphs, he has some vaguely positive pitch value on his changeup. But I mean, and then sure. and then his fastball velocity last year, according to Fangraphs, was averaging 89.5, and this year is averaging 92.9. But of course, it's been down every outing. I don't know what it was on Saturday, but um, you know, I don't know. I, he's still a mystery. I don't know what to make of him. But he's I mean, he's survived in the big league rotation through seven starts, which is uh, more than we can say for some other guys. That's true. Yeah, but the the trick is going to be surviving for another seven starts. Right, because his his he does not have a lot of these dunkers that that he's gotten so far. You know, he pitched poorly in New York. Well, he's got Boston coming up, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, 
he's got probably Texas and New York and uh, every good team that the Orioles are going to face for like most of the entire month of September. I think there's another Detroit series. I mean, this is right. The the Orioles' schedule gets a lot tougher, and some of their pitching, uh, Tillman specifically, but also Miguel Gonzalez, and uh, I guess Zach Britton's gone. Uh, but whoever comes up, if it's Steve Johnson or or Brian Mattis or, or Jake Arrieta. Yeah, since Patton is going on the DL, that means they can recall Steve Johnson. Because otherwise, if it wasn't a DL move, they couldn't do that. Well, can they do that? I mean, they would have to do that right now, yeah. basically. Because if they put Romero on... Well, they optioned Sokolovich they, yeah. yesterday, Sunday, I should say. Oh, I see. So, so they, that's, they that's the Romero. Johnson. And then it could be Patton for Johnson. Well, uh, and again, it, it's, it's one thing to have one really good game, like Steve Johnson did. And it's one thing to have six really good games or, or on on average really good or seven really good games for Tillman. But if it's against lesser competition, you know, what what do you make of that? How much can you make of that? Right. Yeah, we can't. We, right. If, if and, we did. And that gives me pause. More than declining velocity or mediocre looking stuff, even if the changeup looks better. I know, like, Miguel Gonzalez has a changeup that... Or, I, I'm not sure if it's a change... I thought it was a changeup, but, like, the announcers were calling it a split-fingered fastball. I, so I don't know what that pitch is. But it's looked really good on one occasion and a little more fringy on some other occasions. Andrew, you know who Gonzalez kind of reminds me of? And I'm going to engage in the radical cross-racial comp... Just the way the way Gonzalez succeeds and you just can't figure it out just made me think of Koji Uehara because he just had that pitch that just looked like it was just pumping in there and it was like it looked like it was straight but it was just not straight enough that they were always popping it up. That's true. That that's actually a really good point because his changeup just made everything about him play up. Um I, I just I feel like when I watch Gonzalez succeed, he gives me that same vibe of when Koji was succeeding. Not quite as. Of course, Koji could not succeed long term. No. So maybe that's the comp that you're like. Well, that makes sense, but let's hope it's not right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if Miguel Gonzalez turned into what Koji was before he was traded from the bullpen, that would be. A, well, that, that's true. That would still but... be a win, but not if they keep throwing him in the rotation when he's when he shouldn't be. But I guess we'll uh, we'll find out. But yeah, there, there's definitely cause for concern with with all of these starters, really. Um, Every single one. You know, uh, one of the things that I noted this past series, uh, when Wei-Yin Chen was the starter that pitched very poorly, and the Orioles got blown out on, was that on Thursday? I was on Thursday. I was there. Yeah. Uh, Wei-Yin Chen, more than any other starter, has been responsible for the Orioles getting blown out. They've been blown out a lot this year, which is, is part of the reason why uh, everybody talks about the run differential being so bad. Yeah. It's because they get blown out as often as they win the close ones. Um, and Wei-Yin Chen, I think he has four or five blowout losses to his name now. Well, and that's more it, it looks like he has five games where he gave up five or more earned runs, so I'd say that's that's well on the way to a blowout. 
Yeah. So, you know, everybody's got issues. There's no ace. There's no staff ace um, in the in the traditional sense. Yeah, that's five games out of his 23 starts. So nearly one in five times Chen pitches has been a blowout. But we've also seen these guys are are all talented to some degree. Yep. And and there's there's definitely hope there, a little bit. Um, especially you know I want to see what Steve Johnson can do next. That that's the guy that I'm really hoping to see uh, put it together a little bit because he he's looked really good and he's a really good story and and that would be fun. It would be especially with having Dave Johnson be the 1989 guy if Steve Johnson was the 2012 guy. Just think of how how much fodder that would give the sports writers, Andrew. They would just die of happiness that the, just those easy comparisons were just right there. It would literally be heaven. Hey, you know who uh, Manny Machado reminds me of? Well, Alex Rodriguez? It's Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. I've never been that this is this is a lie that I'm about to tell you. I've never been so disappointed in in just every member of the media following the, the Orioles around. Well they do it I mean they did it when he got drafted, all the national guys did it. You know, they just do it all the time. It's so terrible. And Adam Jones gets compared to like Tory Hunter. They can't stop themselves. They really are unable to stop themselves. You know who Manny Machado actually kind of reminds me of? Now, this I'm curious because I don't know the answer. Oh, let's count these guys the Hall of Famers because every prospect is going to be a Hall of Famer. Every one. Every single one. Or just, um, uh, you know, just just imagine, Andrew, how Ryan Mattis, Jake Arrieta, and Zach Britton are going to be once they figure it all out and they throw their all, way into the Hall of Fame for 15 years. Every single one of them. Um, no, M- Manny Machado reminds me of Cal Ripken Jr. Eh? Not to be confused with Cal Ripken Sr. Um, he's big. He is a, a bigger guy that you wouldn't normally associate with shortstop. Sure, outside that prototypical shortstop mold, which, of course, Cal's hallmark was he kind of challenged that status quo. Yeah, and everything I've read says, boy, he can hit. And he's going to hit for power. And Cal Ripken Jr. still holds the record for home runs by a shortstop. Did you know that? You know, I think I did and I forgot. He holds it by one. Alex Rodriguez is in second place. Ah. This fact, I hope it just stands forever because uh, it amuses me to know it. Yeah, that would be all right. But, of course, Manny Machado is going to tie with Alex Rodriguez for that because they're so alike. Yeah, and he'll switch to third base at exactly the uh, the right time to tie him with that also. Well, I mean, his first three home runs are as a third baseman already, so he's a little there you go. It's a little behind the curve, I guess. Well, Cal Ripken Jr. came up as a third baseman. Yeah, that's a good point. Look at this. third base in the minors. You've blown my mind here. See that? It's right there, Oriole beat writers. Compare him to Cal Ripken Jr., not Alex Rodriguez, who nobody likes. See, but that might be sacrilege if they compare him to, to Cal Ripken. It's like... Why? I don't know. They can compare him to guys who's not on the Orioles, because Orioles fans won't freak out. But if they start comparing him to Cal Ripken, then, then people will freak out. I don't know. Anyway, 
we will pause for another 10-ish seconds. Actually, it's more like 30 this time for podcast identification. You're listening to Camden Cast, and we will be back. You're listening to Camden Cast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you like what you hear and you want to know more, make sure to check out CamdenChat.com where you can find discussion and analysis on all the latest Orioles news with our excellent community members. You can follow the site on Twitter at CamdenChat. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CamdenChat. And if you really want more, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes if you search for CamdenCast. Now back to the show. And we're back again, Andrew. That was a nice, nice little break. We're feeling this is weird and fun. We're feeling like. refreshed, and we're ready to power through the last, the last segment, probably 15, 20 minutes. And with the Orioles set to play the Boston Red Sox over the next three games, that's exactly who we're going to take a look at. So, Andrew, the Red Sox are kind of a mess right now. I am continually surprised whenever I look at their numbers and just. Just how ugly it is for them. I mean, just look at looking at some of the guys who've had significant time for them this year. You got Scott Podsednik and Darnell McDonald, and uh, they had a very brief appearance by Brent Lillibridge. Yeah, it's not exactly uh, the Red Sox of yesteryear, is it? Nick Punto was on there for a while. Uh, Danny Valencia is now playing third base. He's their, their starting third base. Marlon Bird with over 100 plate appearances. Andrew, it's pretty pretty messy for these guys at times. Yeah. And, of course, their, their absolute best hitter, David Ortiz, who was slugging over 600 with an on-base percentage over 400, is on the DL with an Achilles something or other. So and Their best hitter from last year, Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, Hurt his shoulder in the first week of the season. He's back now, but not playing very well yet. Carl Crawford, their big star signing from two winters ago. He's back, but not playing super great yet. Although he is slugging over 500. Yeah, Crawford with the 505 slugging percentage, but only a 305. But it is, you know, you can bring that down a bit when it's 306 on base. Yeah, 306, excuse me. I was reading the long, uh, wrong line right there. Um, and then like Jared Saldalamakia, who looked kind of like a like a breakout star, um, sort of a former busted prospect for the Braves and the Rangers. And now you look at his line, and he's on basing under 300 on the season. It's not good. And then Will Middlebrooks was their uh, call-up sensation, and he's hurt. Yeah. Um, he hurt his wrist and is not playing. He's on the DL, which is why uh, why Danny Valencia has gotten a couple games for them, and perhaps we'll get a couple more over this series. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird when they're sort of leaning heavily on like Cody Ross and uh, hoping to get something out of Pedro Siriaco. Like right, right. Did, did that get name get pulled out of a hat? I mean, come on. What's going on with them? It's very unfortunate. And then, of course, there's like the kind of the uh, Bobby Valentine sort of get fired watch, but not really, because the the uh, the Boston media I don't think can decide who they want to blame for this year yet. It's just uh, it's really just really strange to to just see them kind of down and out. And 
and what's even stranger is they're not they are down but they're definitely not out yeah yet. they're mean, they really five are. and a half back of the wild card which is a lot and it is getting late but well the you know, uh, the Red Sox can tell you as well as anyone exactly that five and a half games can be overcome exactly squandered away if you're on the wrong end of it so it's like well, I mean, like Andrew, and we were just talking about this before we got back onto the mics here. If Boston sweeps the Orioles in this series, suddenly the, the narrative will be, well, Boston's making their surge. They're finally putting it together. Right. The the newspaper momentum will be back with them. Because then so, they'd be back above 500. Right. They'd be blah, be blah, blah, blah. Much closer to, to leapfrogging over... At least the Orioles. Yeah. Uh, they have to get past a bunch of teams right now, which is why they they sort of really need to get going, um, especially in these these AL East games, uh, where they can make up ground the fastest. Uh, so it, it's fun because this series is really important to them. I think relative to how important it is to to the Orioles. Well, Boston has more to lose, and the Orioles have more to gain. I think that's how I would look at it. Because if the Orioles, on the other end, took two out of three or made a sweep, then they're powering their way up as well. But they're not, you know, in the toilet if they lose two out of three, or hopefully they don't get swept. Right. I mean, if they got swept, they'd still be six games over five hundred. Unless it was an especially good week for all of their other competitors, they would still be right in the thick of the race. Right. Probably within two games at the worst. Right. And, you know, they would just they'd keep going to, to whatever's up next. And, and but it would be, it would much, be, be much better. It would be sort of a, a blip more than anything else. So the, the matchups in this upcoming series, the game on Tuesday we will see Josh Beckett versus Wei Inchen. Of course, we talked a little bit earlier about Chen's potential to kind of have some unfortunate outings. Mm -hmm. And the Red Sox, even with all these injuries, still a pretty high-powered offense with potential for lots of guys to just tee off and hit home runs if you're not making good pitches. So hopefully that doesn't happen to Chen. But Josh Beckett, holy crap. I mean, you want to make some fried chicken and beer jokes. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, this year he has a 4.97 ERA. His strikeout rate is just way down. Like last year he struck out 175 in 193 innings. This year he has 86 in 116 innings. So he had last year he had over 8K to nine, and this year he's got 6.67. That's a, that's a, that's fallen off right there. And uh, the really good news for the Orioles. Um, he has been pretty good against right-handed batters, which that sort of is expected. He's right-handed pitcher. Most people have platoon splits. It's pretty normal. But he has been pretty bad against left-handed batters who are OPSing almost 800 against them. And right now, the Orioles lineup that I expect they will march out there tomorrow night um, is going to be mostly left-handed batters because um, with Manny Machado coming up, they 
haven't been playing Mark Reynolds against right-handed pitching. They've been playing Wilson Bedemeet, who crushes right-handed pitching at first base instead. And then, of course, Nick Markakis, Chris Davis. Right. Matt Wieters is a switch hitter. Uh, Omar Quintanilla is left-handed. Omar Um, coming, y'all. Yeah, if we're still going to keep doing that, I guess. I can't stop myself. Yeah, I know you can't. It really, it's it's a compulsion. That's all right. Uh, and of the right-handed batters, uh, one is Manny Machado, who, you know, who knows. Uh, one is J.J. Hardy, who is, you know, he should probably be batting ninth in this uh, right-handed pitching version of the lineup. And, and the other is Adam Jones, who has a reverse split, um, and he really hits right-handed pitching well. Adam Jones so, would love to mash off some Josh Beckett right. meatballs. He wanted to talk about velocity on a pitcher. Well, Beckett last year, his fastball was averaging 93.1, and every year of his career has been over 93 miles an hour. And this year he's at 91.7. And he's throwing fewer fastballs than he's ever thrown in his career. So it's a really, really good matchup for the Orioles, which I think makes it a reverse lock. Right so I'm that. afraid. See, Andrew... Yeah. And, and we've talked about it before, and we'll talk about it again. I, I just don't know how to feel confident in the Orioles. Like, I'm just, whenever I start to think, man, this looks like a game the Orioles should win. That is such a foreign feeling to me. I don't even know how to handle it still, even 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 right now in August. I well, haven't gotten it, used to it it's, yet. It's going to come down, I think, <laughs> like most things do, to uh, how well, and in each of these games, because... You look at Aaron, uh, yeah, Aaron Cook. Yeah, the Wednesday game is going to be Aaron Cook versus Miguel Gonzalez. And Aaron and Cook, well, he's... Uh, Aaron Cook's got the same problems, where he has a really hard time getting left-handed batters out. They're OPSing over 800, over 850. Andrew, Aaron Cook has struck out six batters in 51.2 innings. <laughs> yeah. I thought... <laughs> it's a... 1.05 strikeouts per nine. I've never seen one that low. It's absolutely amazing that a team like the Red Sox is is relying on this guy in in critical situations to start games and be effective for him. When you know there, there's this is a time bomb, and it's going to go off and he's going to get completely destroyed. I mean, more than he already has. Why, I can't even wrap my mind around this. Of course, if there's any team where he'll like double his strikeout or more count in one game, it'll be the Orioles. But I don't know if they're still the close to the leaders in strikeouts as they were for a while. I actually haven't looked in about a week. But uh, holy crap, Aaron Cook. So Aaron Cook has a 4.70 ERA. He's giving up. Already eight home runs in those 51 innings, so you know that's that could be a good sign again for the Orioles' left-handed hitters who have some power, because he's a righty. Mm-hmm. So again, I mean that's two games in a row where, well, hopefully the righty or the lefty hitters can kind of feast. Oh, Orioles, yeah, I... Orioles are down where they're only fourth in strikeouts. They have 937 as a team to the Astros 959. Athletics and Nationals are also up in there. How about that? Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to come down to how well can Miguel Gonzalez, who's got all sorts of home run problems of his own yeah. and, and 
Chris Tillman, who, I mean, we just got done talking about him, and, and Wei Yin Chen, how well can they keep the ball in the ballpark the, against a, a power-hitting team? The whole story of the season ball. is if the starters can give them a chance, they might win. Right. Uh, we saw, uh, I'm not sure who put up this fan post on the site, but they, they were saying the Orioles live and die by the quality start. When they get a quality start, they win more often than anybody else. And a lot of that has to do with their bullpen. And Although I think the, that's, that's going to hold true this, this week, too. When the Orioles score four or more runs, they also have an absurdly good record. I want to say that was on the stat sheet on Tuesday when I was in the press box. It was like 36-14. and 14. It might even be more than that. So on the, on the one hand, it's well... Well, I would... I mean, what is everybody? What, what's like the average yeah. record? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's. I'm you sure score it's more high than four everybody. runs. I mean, that's. I just know good. that's on the Orioles game notes. I don't obviously have every team's game notes at my fingers all the time. But... Why not? Well, I don't know why not. That would be interesting if I did, but. I mean, everybody needs goals, I guess. I think I could pick better ones than that. Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> It might not be a bad goal if, like, I could have the Orioles game notes every time, because that would probably mean I was regularly in the press box for the Orioles. But you know. I've, I've stolen some game notes from the minor league press box when I go, and uh, they're never interesting. Yeah. So. Sometimes there's just random interesting facts, and sometimes it's, like, not. Like, I, I was just noticing the last time I was in there was the first time I'd ever seen... One of them acknowledged the concept of OPS, or even on-base percentage, because they basically never write anything about on-base percentage. In, in they were probably just waiting for there to be something nice to write about the well, Orioles with. Yeah, you know, that could be too. They only want to write the good sets. No, but they have bad sets on there sometimes too. But they, there is a bit of cheerleading, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, So anyway, the third matchup in that series, like you said, Tillman, and he's going to be facing Clay Buckholtz. And again, speaking of names that scar me, Andrew, Clay Buckholz. <laughs> I remember where I was. And I've told this story before, and I will probably tell it again, although I will spare everyone tonight. Just, I will never never, never feel good when Clay Buckholz is pitching, because I just will always remember that. But this year, he's actually what passes for an ace on the Red Sox staff, because his ERA is only 4.24, and... Wow. Uh, Although he, too, is has a pretty low strikeout rate. Not absurdly, just comically low like Aaron Cook, but he's below six strikeouts per nine innings. And he's given up 17 home runs in 131 and two-thirds innings. But he has the lowest ERA out of all those guys, so he's playing the role of uh, Jeremy Guthrie, if you will. Well, do you want to hear the bad news? What is the bad news? There's, there's some bad news. Uh, since June 1st, Clay Buckholz has a 2.03 ERA. In 10 games, 75 and a third innings. Uh, here's how many innings he's gone in his last several starts. Yeah, I'm looking at this uh, right now. It's ugly. 8, yeah. 7, 8, 7, 9. Um, before that, yeah, he has not pitched less than six innings since May the 21st. Wow. Um, and, you know, on... on May the 7th, uh, he pitched on May the 6th. After that game, his ERA was 9.09, and now it is 4.24. So so he has, 
you know, maybe he was going through a, a little dead arm period. Yeah, his first six, his first six starts, it looks like he gave up five earned runs or more every start, and he's only done that twice since, and he's got a total of 20 starts. So, well, eight out of 20 with five or more runs, not so good. But then he must have been really good in the other ones to get down to a 4.24 ERA after having eight complete disaster starts out of 20. And uh, worth uh, noting, one of his starts in his really good run was against Baltimore in Fenway Park. He threw a complete game shutout. So, you know, uh, he uh, he's, he's been tough, but he has the same platoon split issue that, that the other right-handed pitchers for the Red Sox have. And um, really, the, the big advantage, and I'm probably going to write this for the site tomorrow, so I can go a little more in-depth with it. That's something um, for you all to look forward to. It's yeah, nice. sure. Andrew's if that's, if you're like really into that sort of thing. Um, with Manny Machado up, they have effectively nullified Wilson Bedemy against left-handed pitching and Mark Reynolds against right-handed pitching, and they are really terrible uh, again in, in both of those cases. So um, all of these platoon splits that you can come up with for every single matchup from here on out, the Orioles will do a little bit better than maybe you would expect them to based on, on how they've performed so far this year. So, Andrew, all in all, I think what this series is going to do is it's going to put to the test our theory from several podcasts ago where the Red Sox are the horror movie villains. <laughs> like, Oh, they're not dead yet. Well, maybe I mean... Like change them to the bottom of the lake, maybe. This is either... Either they're really going to get pummeled or this is where they're going to rise up. And, you know, you think you've you've, like stuck them in the trunk of the car and put, you know, put the pedal to the metal and... Yeah. And like your the girlfriend's car. like yelling, like, why don't you just, like, shoot him? Like, cut his head off with a chainsaw and burn it. Cause they're like, no! You can't do that. We're, we're just getting out of here. But then suddenly, sure then suddenly you start seeing the, the, you know, the air bubbles on the surface, and at first they're just, like, underneath where the trunk went down, and you think, oh, that's just their last breaths, but... Then they start moving like he's swimming out. That's that's the Red Sox right now. Or maybe they'll just stop, and it'll be triumphant, and the movie will end. Oh, it turns out it was just a log. The end. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. A little Ren and Stimpy in there. No, maybe that wasn't wasn't your time. Idiot. Oh, see there you go. From Blamo. <laughs> it's it's powdered toast man. Oh boy. Yeah, so so the Red Sox, I don't know. Uh, hopefully the Orioles put them out of their misery for this year. That would be cool. Two out of three, I'd be happy with, because that would make them what uh, seven and three on the homestand. Ten games over five hundred. Ten games over five hundred. In good position. Um, this this is really the beginning of, you know, the last six weeks of doom for the Orioles or doom for people who are not the Orioles. Andrew, I feel like. Just about every podcast we've come on, we've been talking about, well, this is the the, the doom. This, this is, the, is the gauntlet. Stress. This is the yeah. real test. And they're all tests. And, uh, well, well, that's what happens. So far, the Orioles have passed most of them, and I'm as surprised as anyone. 
Uh, well, I, pre- I mean, I know. predicted 70 wins, and they have 62 right now. So yeah, they're gonna blow past that. I, I hope if they end up with like 70 wins after all this. Oh, I know. So, I will never believe so again. Bad. I will never believe in anything ever yeah, again. You say that now. I know they'll get me next. Then they'll get me next spring, like no matter what. Eleven and two next spring, you'd be like, "Oh my God, they're back!" I know. Yeah. Andrew, do you have a do you have a particular gut feeling on their current win? Uh, it's like thing. probably like mid eighties, like eighty four, maybe. I, I run. It's like a really unscientific projection system that I just rerun every week week and a half or so just whenever i feel like it and i just like go through their schedule that they have left and um you know it, it's it's somewhere like 83 84 uh 85 something like that but i i do not think that they are going to make the playoffs does that make me a bad person no i don't think so andrew if you if i had to pin one down right now i think i would say 84 it just it just feels like that's where it's going. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I wrote today that uh, they got out of the gate really hard, and then they have played 500 ball for almost 90 games now, and that's a lot of games of them treading water. I guess is one way to put it. Um, that that's the perspective of a playoff team. You want your playoff team to do a lot better than just. 90 games of 500 right, baseball. Right, right. In April, they were hot, and then three months after that, they were just playing 500. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but for the Orioles, that's really, really great. Yeah. And uh, maybe we don't spend enough time talking about all of the really improvements, both long-term and short-term, that I think the Orioles have gone through, where they're just a lot better set up for next year uh, than they were last year. With uh, Adam Jones's extension and Wei Yin Chen in the mix and, and hitting on Jason Hamill, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe uh, having proved to everybody that spending less on a bullpen is in fact smarter. Yeah, and you know they can they can keep doing that maybe. So I well, but we'll see. You know, they they're still I don't think they're they're set up well for this year. Um, as far as the playoffs go. Um, There's still so many holes on this team is the thing. Right. I mean, we don't want to be downers, but... You, no, be, no, of course not, because they're going to finish over 500. I, I would I, I would be super surprised if they don't at this point. Um, and that is a huge step in the right direction. You know, uh, we've been arguing for years about how the team doesn't just go from zero to hero overnight. You gotta they have the resting point, the weight in the, point in the middle. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll save it for another podcast, obviously, to talk about what they're gonna do after they take that step. But uh, yeah, the, things have gone really well. Just the, the playoffs are it's like tantalizingly just out of reach. Like maybe if I stand up on my tippy toes, I can just barely like graze them it's, it's feeling like they're going to be close enough that it's going to be certain harsh. losses will you'll just look back on and be like man why like couldn't they win this game losing two games to the royals this week or like when jim johnson blew that save against oakland and gave up yeah. six runs in the ninth or uh 
back at the beginning of the season, <laughs> they are they're twelve and two in extra inning games. Right, the two they lost against the Yankees, uh, the you know the what the fourth and fifth games of the season, fifth and sixth yeah. games. They were both like really close, well played games, really frustrating losses. So well for for Birdland, that's a step in the right direction, I guess. But uh, I don't know, that won't be much consolation if the Orioles are like one game out at the at the end of. Well, I mean, would that really be more frustrating than them getting into the coin flip game and then, you know, because they would have to be just using all their starters down the stretch, they'd have to send, like, I don't know, Tommy Hunter out against Dan Heron. Jared Weaver or somebody, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Justin Flander. That wouldn't be much fun. So, well... You know what? We'll have a closer idea of that picture uh, every podcast from here on out. Maybe we'll maybe we'll keep taking. And, and it's it, it is a lot of fun to, to watch the team just improbably somehow keep. The, really, the Orioles are the are the movie monster, not the Red Sox. This is this is like um, what was that movie where it was a horror movie? I don't. I think it was French, and like the chick in it was being chased by like a sadistic trucker. And then at the end of the movie, the big plot twist that was, was, oh, the chick was the monster the whole time. She's been chasing this other chick the whole time uh, and running away from her. Wow. What's that movie called? I don't know. I think I've seen about three French movies ever. So. Uh, it wasn't Amelie. So. No, well, that's one of the three. So. <laughs> uh, actually, that was like the scene at the end of the credits of Amelie. Oh, big twist yeah okay well you know what andrew that's that's really that's putting a spin on it what if the orioles are the the villain and they're they're coming to chase down the red Sox and the yankees now that's if you find out what this movie is do not watch it because it wasn't very good. well you just spoiled it for everyone so also i just spoiled it for everyone you know anyway that is all we have for tonight so you've already heard all the plug action on our little interludes so I'll just go ahead and wrap it up. So, Andrew, it's been a pleasure. As always, it's been a lot of fun. I'm I'm glad that everybody out there seems to be enjoying these. As Um, always. But if there's any suggestions or comments, or uh, if you just want to maybe spread the love a little bit, that'd be be nice to to get out there and and talk up the podcast, or or if you want to see different things or, or whatever. Yeah, look for the Camden Cast comment box for the next podcast probably on Thursday on CamdenChat.com. If we like a bunch of comments, we will take more than one for the next, uh, well, from here on out, really. And we'll be back on our regular schedule for next week. We will be recording on the evening of the 19th, and barring any unforeseen circumstances, we will have that out to the world on the 20th of August, and hopefully with some triumphant Orioles news. So for my friend Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.